Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times best-selling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Welcome back to another episode of Insight Live. Today, we're going to talk about why it's a good idea to say things that are unpopular. And Brendan and I were talking a little bit ago as we were preparing for this episode, and we're going to dive into three principles that really illustrate this point. And the genesis of this discussion came because yesterday I interviewed Julian Espinoza. He specializes in paid advertising to help podcasters and in the social media space specifically. And one of the things he talked about was this idea of instead of showing your image or video as a podcaster, if you're unknown, meaning if you're not Barack Obama, if you're not Joe Rogan, if you don't have a recognizable face as an advertiser, he's an advertiser. He's somebody that specializes in advertising. He suggests to show a visual representation of your podcast. And what I got from that is it's motion graphics. It's telling a story with the idea behind the podcast without necessarily showing two talking heads like Brendan and I talking right now, because he's all about click through. And what's going to get more people to click is emotion and story and the message as opposed to just seeing a face that nobody knows. And so that goes against conventional wisdom, which maybe a lot of people assume that, you know, video is great. We want to see talking heads and that sort of thing. And so it just got me thinking this whole idea of watching what everyone else is doing and figuring out a way to stand out compared to everybody else, because there is so much that's happening in this crazy fast world that we live in. And so I think the only way we stand a chance of differentiating ourselves, and David Breyer talks about this when I interviewed him, it's rising above the noise, which I know we're going to get into that in a minute. So Brendan, how do we rise above the noise? Let's go to the first principle, which you, I'm alluding to it now, but why Should we think about things from an unpopular perspective? And I'll remind everyone that an interview question that I learned from James Carberry was asking people, what is a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? Again, what is a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? The reason that's such a great question is it elicits a response that will be unique that will be different than what everyone else says about a given topic or in a given industry. 
So with that setup and understanding that you are a huge Seth Godin fan and he knows what it means to rise above the noise, to stand out, to differentiate yourself, why or what will be the first pillar of our discussion today? The idea, and David says it best himself, different is better than better. Because when you're different, you stand above the noise. And even this lives that we do in some ways is unconventional. I mean, what time is it? It's almost midnight, my time. <laughs> and it's almost nine o'clock yours on a Friday night while other people are doing normal human stuff. We're here doing LinkedIn Live. So I think even the show itself is quintessential to the topic of today's conversation. I don't even know what quintessential means, by the way. I just like saying the word quintessential. It's just fun. It's a good word. It just makes you sound majestic or something like I'm some, <laughs> like I'm some peacock. I think you used it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate the support. But yeah, absolutely. I think the key here is why is it so important for us? And I will say that as an argument. Why is it so important for us to say things that are unpopular if our goal is to build a brand and authority? And if we go back to someone like Seth Godin that you alluded to, Billy, he's such a great example of this. He literally has a book called Purple Cow, where he starts some of his keynotes by saying, if you're on the road and you see a bunch of cows, you don't really care. But if one of those cows is purple, you're going to stop and say, wait a second, what is that? Every single person is going to stop for that purple cow. Why? Because it's something that we're not used to seeing. And that's why saying things that are unpopular are often good things, you know, provided the idea sound, of course, with that in place, because it cuts through the noise. Cuts through the noise. I don't know the statistic on this, but we're, we're bombarded with thousands of marketing messages a day. If all you're hearing all the time is the same stuff, hey, you should never give up. Hey, don't give up on your dreams, Billy. Exercise every day. Eat right. Like the same advice we hear all the time, right? What unconventional wisdom allows us to do is it allows us to go, oh, wait, who's that? Kind of like when you look at David Breyer's content. I mean, his LinkedIn story is him in a motorcycle. You're like, wait, what's this? And you stop to focus on that piece. Your focus, your energy goes to that single piece. So that's really the most important piece is being different allows you to break through the noise. So with that being said, there is a very specific neurological reason why this is true. We are hardwired as human beings to ignore things that are the same. We literally ignore them. We don't pay attention to them. And there's good reason for that. We are limited to what we could pay attention to. Our brain only has the ability to process so much. And if we overwork it and make it pay attention to everything, we might miss something that's important. And the important thing is something that it might put us in harm's way. When something shows up that's different, that's out of the ordinary, that's extraordinary, that's unusual in some way, that triggers your brain, everyone's brain, to pay attention. It says, hey, I should pay attention to this because this is not normal. This is different. Therefore, it could hurt me. It could cause me harm. And because of that, I'm going to pay attention. And I talk about this all the time where if you're driving from point A to point B every day, day in, day out, the same route, you're going to be on autopilot most of the time. You're not going to be paying attention. I don't care. You don't even need a Tesla. You're going to be on mental autopilot because you're so used to doing it. And then you're almost going to forget, hey, did I just drive from there to there? I, I, I forgot. And the other piece is that's simply because you're so used to doing it, your brain's conditioned. I like to travel. 
One thing I know about travel is I remember my vacations way more than I remember my day-to-day activity. It's crazy. Like literally my wife who always comments on my memory, she's like, how do you remember that about the vacation yet you can't remember that I asked you to do this, right? It's so super, super important. There's a neurological reason why we need to say and do different things. You gave the example of exercise. Everyone's saying exercise. How about saying don't exercise, right? Obviously, you're going to get people's attention. And then there's got to be some follow through, obviously, because you don't want to give people (laughs) bad information. (laughs) I think the point being, I'm using that as as an example of clearly that would bring people's attention to what you're going to say. And by the way, this needs to be done in a non-clickbaity way where you say something just to get their attention and then you don't follow through. So for example, on the exercise piece, it's, hey, don't exercise. And then there's a follow through about why you don't exercise in a certain way or do something in a certain way. And you're justifying why you've said that to garner the attention. Okay, so anything else on that piece rising above the noise before we go into pillar two? I think that's so important, Billy, what you talked about. And thanks so much for those insights. And I think that plays really well into pillar number two, which is, yes, what being different, you know, going back to saying the right advice, even if you're disagreeing fundamentally, like don't exercise, but having the follow through as well, is the idea of when you share an idea, when you share a concept and insight, yeah, sure, it's relevant for the audience. But the second pillar is it's also beneficial for you as the content creator, as the disseminator of that idea and message. Because all of the best thought leaders often have some unique edge, whether it's about their personalities, the way that they act, the way that they show up, that's either controversial or through the insights that they deliver that's unique. Because if you don't share something that is unpopular, even if it's a little thing, How are you supposed to stand out from the noise of content creators that are constantly yapping the same content over and over and over? Once again, Seth Godin is the best example of this. He wrote books that are 50 pages, 300 pages. One's called Tribes. Another one's called Lynchpin. Another one's called Purple Cow. He's like a crazy kook. He's like commenting on marriages. He's commenting on marketing and he's disagreeing with everyone in marketing. And he's just amazing. Everything he says is very unique. But even Gary Vaynerchuk, he's always yelling at people, even kids. And he's like, hey, you got to get to work. (laughs) He's a fascinating character. Or Lewis Howes with the perfect day exercise or the humility in which he shows up with interviews, that calming voice, that soothing kind of big brother-esque figure is probably the best way I would discover Lewis or explain him to people. Oprah, grand personality, but very good listener. Right? Likes to control a room really well, and she does it amazingly well, but in a way that's authoritative, but also gives space for the person to talk. So it's a good balance. But the point that I want to drive is all great influencers, all great thought leaders share things that are unpopular because it's through those unpopular ideas that they revolutionize the world, that they make a dent in the culture, that they get noticed by the people around them. So that's why saying something unpopular, that is true, of course allows you to separate yourself, not just from your audience point of view, listening to the message, but you as the brand, because people start associating those controversial ideas to yourself. You're talking really about a brand will stand out and it could be a personal brand. It could be a company. It could be anything. It will stand out when it has a unique perspective, when it has a perspective that is different than others. And so 
let me jump on this because I because what you just said there I think is so such a million dollar insight because I want to push on this. You talked about companies. Let's do a quick example for people to demonstrate this. So let's say I asked you to think about Nike. What are some words that come to mind, Billy, when you think of the word Nike in general? Just do it. Right? Just do it. Greatness, empowerment. It's for the single mother who runs every day in the morning. It's for the professional athlete who gets out of bed and does the work. Greatness is all of us, and that's what Nike is. But what about Adidas? What's something that comes to mind when you think of Adidas? A Reebok. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. And that's really the point. Is Nike as taking a stand about what they believe, why they believe it? Same thing with Apple. When you think of Apple, it's pretty clear what they stand for. Think different. Innovation. Right? Doing something cool. Doing something quirky. Making a dent on the society. What about- How meta though, right? What we're talking about is thinking differently. And Apple, like literally, that's what they stand literally for. What they, versus Motorola. What does what does Motorola do? right? It's yeah. it's almost it's almost comical. Tesla, Tesla's obvious innovation, right? Transforming the world, the environment, energy, sustainability, hard work. Like those are the types of words. Edgy, right? Classy, world class. What about Kia? <laughs> like, it's just funny and that's the key you need to say unpopular things you need to believe in something unique or else you won't stand out like most brands okay so those are some great examples of brands aside from who you've shared already with obviously Godin and Howes and, and the, the usual suspects that we, we do talk about a lot who, who else haven't we yet talked about that would be valuable to share their unique stance. Again, this is about taking a stand. This is about saying, I'm going to take a stand in this area and it may be unpopular that I have this belief. It may go against what everybody else thinks and everybody else is singing this song. I'm going to sing a different song. Who else does it? What other examples to make this as real as possible? It's a great question because the answer is pretty much everyone we've covered on this show, the 28 episodes we've done. Jeff Bezos, yeah, I should totally start an online store and start with books. Elon Musk, oh yeah, I totally need to take the $200 million I just got from exiting PayPal and start a space company on reusable rockets that are 10 times cheaper than my competition and a car company, even if it hasn't been successful in over 75 to 100 years. Yeah, let's just do that with our money. I think most characters that we've covered, most of the Airbnb. Eccentric. Yeah. I mean, Brian Chesky. Oh yeah. Let's totally sleep in strangers' houses and have people pay let's for it. Sleep in strangers' houses. Let's drive strangers' cars. Let's make renewable rockets, right? These are all unpopular ideas because it's not being done. It hasn't been done. And until somebody has the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to do what others might think is impossible, weird, strange, just not normal. You're on the right track. Let's get weird, right? Like <laughs> we could call this episode, let's get weird because the more odd you come across to other people, the more likely you're going the right direction that you should be going. It may be the opposite direction as everybody else because you hear the, the, it's a cliche term, watch the crowd go in the opposite direction, but there's a re, cliches exist for a reason. And that's one that it exists for a reason. When you watch what everybody else is doing, going back to the original example, everybody who's doing a podcast right now is doing talking heads, putting it out there, putting it out there, putting it out there. 
when you do something different, you get noticed. People go, oh, that's cool. I haven't thought of that. That's an interesting way to share that idea. And one thing you mentioned also, and we covered this last episode with Vinod Kosla, is, and he says this best, do you have the guts to follow your own belief? Do you have the guts to follow your own belief system? Mm. And that's really the key. Are you willing to do this? And the other thing I'll say to kind of bring this down to earth for some people, because some people probably listen to this and going, well, I don't want to be like Elon Musk. I don't want to be like Jeff Bezos. The point I want to drive, that we want to drive is, you don't really need to compare yourself to those people. Compare yourself with people who aren't doing those crazy things either, who are making those types of decisions. Take me as an example. I'm just a regular Joe in a basement, right? I went from 19 years old, wanting to become an executive of a company, and I had no money. My parents were on minimum wage, so that's the only thing I wanted. Get a six-figure corporate job. I work my tail off for three years, networked with 50 to 100 executives, literally, to get that six-figure job. And I quit it after only two years to start a YouTube channel and my own business. And I still live in my mother's basement. And I love Justin Bieber. And I dance alone in my basement. Who in the rational minds would quit a six-figure corporate job to do that? It's not like they fired me. Like I had a thriving career there. They want me back all the time. They keep calling me back. But the <laughs> point on a drive is you don't need to compare yourself to the big people. You can also compare yourself to the, the people that, you, that you're comfortable looking at as role models and saying, how can I be a bit more unconventional in my life? Is it through the small decisions that I make around me? Is it through the choices that I make in my life, be it small? And through those small choices, they start to accumulate rapidly over time. Like Elon Musk didn't just wake up and say, yeah, I just want to land on Mars. No, he started questioning society bit by bit, little by little. And he developed that muscle over time to now it just feels normal for him to disagree on pretty much anything. But it seems odd to the end person because you just look at the final stage of Elon Musk's development or Jeff Bezos' development or Bill Gates' development, but you don't see them as kids going through this conundrum, figuring out that their belief system is still in progress or a work in progress. So I encourage you all to think of it in the same way. Yeah, man. Well, we talked about two really important pillars. What's the third big bucket that really helps to illustrate the reason why we should think about saying things that we shouldn't be afraid. At least we shouldn't be afraid to say things that are unpopular. Absolutely. So let's just recap what we've learned so far. So number one pillar is it allows you to use your message to break through the noise, right? Because it says, oh, this is different. I never heard seeing this before. Let me spend more time on this. Let me pay more attention to this. That's one. Two is it makes yourself stand out more as a content creator because by saying unpopular things, you're going to be that much closer to the people that you admire and whoever they are in that space. Number three is it's a huge competitive edge. The reason it's a huge competitive edge is because most people aren't willing to share controversial ideas. Not because they're bad at content creation, but because it's against our innate wiring as human being. This brain here is wired for survival. It's not wired for innovation or happiness. So because the brain is wired for survival, our tendencies to generally agree with everything that is presented to us on a platter. So it takes a lot of energy and effort to go, actually, let me directly disagree with this idea. 
Because now you're going against your natural tendency, which is to say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a second, Brent. You're not supposed to disagree with that. What will other people think of you? And if other people judge you negatively, you'll, your chances of survival will start to go down. Be careful, Brent. Be careful about doing that. Mm. So yes, it's a huge competitive edge, largely because no one does it. And that's why, by the way, in the startup space, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, is such a unique masterpiece because every page in the book is controversial and right. And no one else has even come close to writing a book as good as Peter has in that specific sphere because he's just so controversial. It's innate to his personality. Same thing with Seth Godin in marketing. I'm so glad you used the word controversial because I think we as human beings have this allergic reaction to being controversial. And there's a very specific reason for that. We want to be accepted. We need Innately, we need to be accepted. We need to feel comfort and to feel like we belong. And in order for us to feel like we belong and feel comfortable and to feel accepted, we avoid saying things that may go against the grain, may be controversial. And so to your points, which are so great, right? You got to rise above the noise. You have to have your own unique point of view as a brand, what do you stand for as a brand? And you gave some great examples. And then the third pillar is this is your competitive advantage. Without this, you, you, you are simply rowing the same direction as everybody else, which is fine for some things. But if you really want to set yourself apart, you got to do something that's going to give you a competitive edge. We talk about edge a lot during these sessions. We talked about it a lot in the last session. And so I think the edge that we want is all founded on principles that will make people pay attention to what we're saying, because most people will ignore what we're saying because we're hardwired to ignore it. So give us some examples of competition wins that you see people get as a result of standing out. Lots of wins, I would say, for standing out. The, the first one is you become a category of one. That's probably the most important thing. So let's say... Mm, that's powerful. So let's say you think about someone like Seth Godin. Can you name anyone remotely similar to Seth Godin's work? Mm -mm. It's not even like... You can't even... Like, it is literally disgraceful. Like, I, I would take offense... Personally, I don't even know the guy. I would take offense to anyone who tries to compare Seth Godin's work with any other marketer. It's not even the same. He's in his own category. And that is really the big benefit. There's, I'm sure there's a bunch of other smaller ones. But I would say the biggest benefit is you become a category of uno, of one single individual. And when you become, and, and you know, it's ironically enough, going to, to uh, coincidences, like think different and stuff. Seth Godin has an entire book of this called Lynchpin. Right? He mm -hmm. argues in that book that I've read, which is weird because I don't read books. For those of you who don't know, that's why I say it's weird. So I've listened to Lynchpin, A to Z. And he argues in the book, essentially, that because the world is getting increasingly automated, the only way to truly stand out in your workplace, whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur, really anything, is to stand out, is to be a Lynchpin, is to use the human creativity that can never be automated, regardless of how fast AI advances, it's that human genius, that intellect, that curiosity, that uniqueness that actually helps you stand out in the workplace and makes you a category of one. Mm -hmm. Because if you become a category of one, you become a linchpin, which he defines as someone indispensable to a company or to an organization. Where if the linchpin leaves, 
the people say, I'll pay you double to stay because I really don't want you to leave because you're so important. But he also argues, and this is a bit more aspirational, that we can all become linchpins, that all of us have that potential because there's only one version of us, yet most of us decide not to be linchpins. And he encourages us all to be. We all can become linchpins. The reality is we all won't. And when Tom Bilyeu interviewed Seth and they talked specifically about linchpins, he was talking about his 1,500 employees Tom Bilyeu had. And he said, you know, you probably have 50 linchpins. Yep. Out of 1,500. Good memory. You probably have 50 linchpins. And so, well, I watched it last night. Uh, so that's why, that's why I, <laughs> I was like, man, you got the numbers. The numbers are right. I was like, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so out of a 1,500 person, 50 are going to be those linchpins. And that makes sense, right? Because most people are not going to channel their unique self. And that's, this is a great point that you just brought up. We all are unique. In fact, our superpower is our uniqueness. As we wind this one down, I want to know, what did we miss? What haven't we yet talked about? Who haven't we explored? Or maybe what are some tips? Keep this super open-ended. What are some tips that we could leave as parting gifts for people to embrace their their inner uniqueness? Because we were going to do a whole episode just about being unique, which in a lot of ways this is, uh, but it's about being unpopular and unique at the same time. So how can someone get to that point or what else was missed in this conversation? Yeah, I think for me, a big piece that, that I really want us to emphasize, Billy, is that you don't need to be an entrepreneur for this strategy to work. You know, a lot of you might be listening saying, oh, that's for Elon Musk. That's for Jeff Bezos. That's not true at all, people. What we really want to really nail in the coffin here is even the smallest inclination to being a bit more controversial, to stepping into your uniqueness, gives you disproportionate ROI. Disproportionate ROI. Because nobody else does it. So even if you step into your uniqueness, even just a little bit, making one extra mm. decision, one little mid, like one little switch. Micro decision. Yeah, micro decision. Thank you. The world will notice. The world will notice that difference. Or if you go to the extreme like Seth and you just keep stacking those micro decisions, you'll eventually be so unique and so indispensable in whatever you do that you'll be worth more. Think about the example Billy just gave around the 50 linchpins in Tom's company. So to, we don't know who those 50 people are, but to Tom, those 50 people are absolutely essential. And let's be honest, Tom's probably paid them extremely well, whether it's equities, whether it's shares. I mean, you were a linchpin at Tesla. You were two levels under Elon, right? You were one of those 50 to 100 people who was driving the culture of the organization, right? So it's important for people to understand that you don't need to be Elon to be a linchpin. You need to be willing to understand your uniqueness, which some of us do, but very few take that uniqueness and share it more openly mm. with the world. Communicate that uniqueness, even if it's just a little bit, because that's if you just do that, I think your life will be significantly different and you'll get a lot more advantages. I think it comes down to making your uniqueness known. And the more you can make your uniqueness known, the broader you can do that, the more well-known that your uniqueness permeates your surrounding relationships, the bigger the competitive moat you will build around your own unique identity. We talk about competitive moats for businesses. There's a competitive moat that you could build around you and your own unique identity. And to your point, you don't need to own an organization or be an entrepreneur. You could be part of an organization too. Liam works with startups and I'm sure he 
constantly finds people in the organization who act as linchpins. And I bet more often than not, it's because they are doing something to differentiate themselves from all of the other people within that startup. And, and those are the people that help propel the startup to have the success that they have. So Brendan, last looks. What else before we close down? I'm always about squeezing the orange, pushing, pushing, pushing. What else can we do to, to get the unique spirit out and, and present? Let me give you the easiest win because I think Liam's a good example to close on. Is Liam's a good example of a linchpin? Mm. He didn't get hired into his company. He got poached into his new company. That's a very different thing. People need to understand the difference. Getting hired into a company means you interview, you go through the process, you apply explicitly. But getting poached means somebody reaches out to you and says, I want you to work at my company. Why is it that person getting poached while somebody else is trying desperately to get a job, to get their next gig, to get their next opportunity? What is the difference in the two? One is a linchpin and the other person is a linchpin also, but they're not willing to share that, that linchpin mentality, that personality with the world in the same way Liam is. So here's my quick win. Here's my easy win that I hope most of you implement. Optimize your LinkedIn profile. That's the easiest thing you can do to be a linchpin. And more specifically, there's a feature on LinkedIn called Cover Stories, where you can make a video of yourself presenting. There are so many people. That's actually a very good example. There's a hundred people I personally reached out to. Hey, Billy. Hey, Laura. Hey, John. There's a cover story thing. I did it. It takes 30 seconds. Almost nobody I messaged did it. Why? It's such a great way for us to differentiate ourselves. It's a 30-second video. It doesn't take that long. You talk about what you do. You talk about who you are. Why aren't people doing it? Because mm. most people don't want to embrace their uniqueness. They don't want to put themselves out there. Be the person who does. I'm going to tag in and I'll add on to what you just said and leave everyone with this bit of wisdom and idea here. Okay, so Brendan talks about your LinkedIn profile. You have an opportunity in your about section. In your about section, that is what's going to allow you to say things that you believe about your industry, about your experience, your knowledge, what have you, take a day, take two days and carve out an hour or two a day and think about what are the most commonly held beliefs in my industry that I have a different viewpoint on that I can say with passion and conviction that I believe. And don't be afraid to put this in your about section. In no uncertain terms, say what you believe. You got to say what you believe. And so take the time. What will happen is people will then read your about section and they're going to see things that they would be surprised by because they're expecting you to say what everybody else is saying. So it's a golden opportunity. You have tons of white space, right? Tons of real estate. You could do with it what you want. You can either do what is the most boring, cliche about section that everybody else sees that doesn't have any weight or substance to it, or you could challenge yourself to, to think critically and hard about what are your core beliefs? What are the things that you believe at your core that you want other people to know you believe? And it's especially powerful if that belief is different than what others believe. And with that, we want to say thank you for being here. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. We uh, will see you soon in the next couple of days for sure. Until then, 
please do have an amazing day. Make it a great one. Take care, y'all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.